Welcome to Story Jam. Hey, this is Stephanie Rogers. I'm the host and producer of Story Jam, a live lit storytelling and music show based in Chicago. Story Jam presents fantastic stories and a kick-ass band playing original songs written for each story every single time. For more about that, please visit us at storyjamshow.com. Today's podcast features a moving story by the famous Nestor Gomez. Nestor is a nationally recognized storyteller who hosts 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories. He is a top moth winner and he has told stories on many national stages. Here is Nestor Gomez, live at Story Jam. So when I was 15 years old, I was a happy kid I was going to say growing up, but as you can see, I didn't do much growing up. <laughs> I was a happy kid getting older <laughs> in Guatemala. And as any kid in a Latin American country, I was excited at the idea that I was soon going to turn 18. Because in Latin American countries, you can drink, you can smoke, you can drive a car as soon as you hit 18 years old. But I wasn't so happy about turning 18 years old because I could smoke and drink. Well, okay, yes, I was. <laughs> but I was also happy at the idea that at 18 years old, I could finally vote. You see, back then, I used to be really shy. I had a speech impediment. I used to stutter, so I couldn't really talk. And I wanted to be able to participate on the political process of Guatemala with my boat, so I could have a voice. And I could in some way help stop the civil war that was going on in Guatemala that had caused the death of thousands of people. And it, has, it had caused that many families or many people immigrated to the United States, including my own parents. So I was really looking forward to the time where I could vote. A few Weeks after I turned 15 years old, my parents decided that my siblings and I should emigrate to the United States. So I didn't have a chance to have a voice in Guatemala and participate on the political process. We came to this country undocumented. When I arrived to this country, I was excited to learn that here you can also vote when you turn 18. But then I was disappointed because we had come here undocumented. And unlike what you hear on the news or what you hear some people say, undocumented people do not and cannot vote. Why would somebody undocumented go to a place where the first thing they ask you is for your IDs? <laughs> so I remember thinking, now I really don't have a voice. Not only do I stutter, but I don't know the language of this country. And even if I did, I couldn't talk because I stuttered. <laughs> and now when I turn 18, I will not be able to vote because I'm undocumented. When I spoke to my mother about this, she said, you know what, don't worry about it. Because I have a green card. That's what my mother said. I have a green card and I have applied for you and your siblings to become citizens. You just have to remain single. <clears throat> 
So my siblings listen to my mother. But me, <clears throat> I sort of got my high school girlfriend pregnant and we had to get married. And then five years later, we got divorced. And then I got married again to somebody else. And then I got divorced again, <laughs> which complicated and delayed my immigration process. But when you think about it, getting married, getting divorced, getting married, getting divorced, isn't that kind of like the way the American, the American people do it? They should have just given me my American citizenship right there. The government didn't see it that way. It wasn't until I was in my mid-30s when Barack Obama was making his first run to the White House that I got my green card, which meant that I was a resident alien. I was no longer undocumented, but I still couldn't vote. That right is reserved for citizens only. I remember thinking, well, now I'm no longer undocumented. I'm getting over my stuttering. I had learned to speak English with a very sexy Latino accent. I know, right? <laughs> but I still can't vote. I still don't have a voice. Around the time that I saw on the news the results of the election, I started to get upset. If you close your eyes, close your eyes for one second, and think about where were you when Barack Obama was first elected president. Now let me tell you where I was. I was at home, really upset. But not upset that Obama had been elected president, but upset at the fact that I was not able to vote for the first African-American president ever. So I promised myself that I was going to do everything in my power to become a citizen as soon as possible. Around the time that Barack Obama was going to his second attempt to become president of his second term, I had already gotten uh, kind of lazy and I had to make a lot of excuses. It takes too much money. It takes too long. Obama is gonna get elected without, without my help. So I did not make my process to become a citizen yet. It wasn't until the end of Barack Obama's second term when the anti-immigration rhetoric and the chance of build a wall, build a wall started to get really loud and annoying that I decided to get my act together and become a citizen. But it takes a lot of money, it takes a lot of time, and all this time and money it's up to the government. So I could not become a citizen on time for the elections. I was so mad. And I remember thinking, how many people like myself were resident aliens, had a green card, and took too long to become citizens? And how many people were citizens and decided that they just didn't have the time 
or it wasn't too much of a trouble, and they didn't go out and vote. It was one of the most important elections of our time, and half of the population of the United States did not vote. Now let me tell you, there should be no excuse why you don't go out voting. African Americans gave their lives for the right to vote. Women fought for decades to get the right to vote. A lot of immigrants, we're still trying to get a right to vote. There should be no excuse, no excuse, no excuse whatsoever. Well, well, unless you want to vote Republican, then <laughs> maybe if you want to stay home and watch Netflix. But you should vote. <laughs> well, it wasn't until after the election, and you saw the results of the election, that I finally was able to become a United States citizen. <laughs> after over 30 years of process, trying to become a citizen, I was finally a citizen. And I remember that the very first thing that I did was to call my mother to thank her for all her help and her efforts. And then I signed up to become a registered voter. And that's when I learned that I not only get to vote for presidential elections, I can also vote, participate in other elections. So a few months later, I wasn't, long, I wasn't any longer the 15-year-old boy that wanted to vote. I'm already a mid-40s old man. But I was on my way to vote for my very first time in my life. And I remember as they gave me the ballot. And I looked at the ballot for the very first time. I told myself, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry as tears started to roll down my face. On my way out of the boarding office, I asked one of the people working there, uh, do you have a tissue? <laughs> and he looked at me like, what the hell? <laughs> so I had to explain myself. I'm sorry, but it's the first time that I'm boarding in my life. I just became a citizen. And he said, well, in that case, you don't want to forget this. As he placed an eye-ported wristband on my wrist. I had to run out of there not to start crying right there. And as soon as I get out of the building, I took a bunch of pictures. And I put it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, all over social media. That's what you do. Once I got home, my wife was there because, of course, I got married for the third time. <laughs> that sexy accent, you know. <laughs> I get home and my wife say, so how did it go? How long did it take? And I thought about that for a moment. Because the boarding itself had taken only a few minutes. But the process to be able to boat had taken me my whole freaking life. 
But my wife knows that. So instead I just say, you know what? I feel so great. I have a voice now. Thank you. Got a chance to chat a bit with Nestor, and here is our conversation. That is one of your most incredible stories, in my opinion. I'm wondering, how did you construct the story? Well, it was a story that I did for the Grand Slam, which did not win the Grand Slam, by the way. <laughs> ah. <laughs> but I think it's because the, uh, at the Grand Slam for the mod, I did a six-minute version of the story, and some stories need more than six minutes. Some stories is very difficult to pack all the importance, all the relevance, all the funny stuff in in six minutes. You infused humor so effectively in this very serious story, placed in really precisely. Were you thinking about that? Was that more the audience reaction? No, I was thinking about it because it's a very serious story. It's very, in a way, it's very political um, because it talks about voting, which is a very political act. But it also talks about not having a voice which I always felt like I didn't have a voice because, like, like I say on the story, I used to stutter, I couldn't speak English, I was undocumented. So the main driving force of the story was finding my voice. But I knew that if I just made it into this political tale or this uh, story about going to 
finding my voice, I needed to inject some humor on it. Um, so for that story, I did. I, the story was very serious when I first wrote it, and then I started injecting humor into it. How much does it mean to you now to get up in front of people and share your story? Do you think about that child that couldn't speak, didn't have a voice before? Do you think about that still? Oh, yeah. Uh, I never thought that I would grow up to be a storyteller. If I could be able to go back on time and tell that young kid that used to story so much, just like, be patient, you're going to get over this and you're going to grow up to be a storyteller. I don't think if I go back on time and tell it to myself, I don't think myself will believe it. I'll be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> How do you want people to remember you after you're gone as a storyteller and also as a person? Mm, maybe not so much me, because uh, what I want people to remember is the fact that representation matters. And for a lot of years, I didn't see my stories or my my experience represented on the stories and the lessons that we were taught at school. So if anything, I just want all the people that have not have the chance to see themselves the represented to be able to have the notion that the stories matter and to be able to feel that they have a voice as well. Do you ever feel like everybody here already agrees with you? Everybody here already supports you and appreciates you? Kind of like you're preaching to the choir. Uh, no. I have gone to stories, when I tell stories like at a school, and then hear feedback from students that were probably sitting in the audience and were like, didn't take the story so kindly because they either disagree with uh, undocumented immigrants or they don't agree with my political view. Like with that story that I tell about voting, I went to a school and one student reached out to me on Twitter and he wasn't happy at all. His, uh, his comment was like, you insulted me when you say that Republicans shouldn't vote and I'm going to go out and vote to show you that we have a voice as well and that we deserve to be heard. And I say, basically, I responded to his tweet like, okay, so my story was about people finding the voice and motivating people to vote. So if you feel motivated to vote, my story did what it was intended to do. And the only way that I can do that is by telling you not to vote. So you feel like you had to go vote. And he was like, <laughs> when I explained it to him, he was like, so you were not trying to, to, to insult me? I'm like, no. I'm like, it was the only way for me to tell you go out and vote is by telling you don't go out and vote. <laughs> was it just as exciting this time as it was the first time you voted? Uh, yes, because this time is even more important. Well, we look forward to many more stories from you, you, Nestor. Thank you so much. Thank you, dear listeners. Please don't forget to visit us online and find out all about our stuff. We do cool classes and many interesting things. So we think. And please remember, never forget, in perpetuum storius, it kind of means keep the stories going. See you next time at Story Jam. Check us out at storyjamshow.com.